0: This is The Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Sponsored by Amazon, Audible, HostGator, Gamefly, and supporters of independent media like you. Welcome to The Humanist Report. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 33rd episode of the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by our patrons on Patreon. I have to give a special thank you to Jimmy J and Swami A., Both of these individuals are pledging $50 or more to the show. Uh, So first and foremost, thank you both. So much. You can follow them both on Twitter. I'll put their uh, Twitter handle on the screen. Uh, look, I always want to stress this. Please don't ever feel under pressure to donate and contribute. Even the fact that someone would give a dollar blows my mind. But the, but at this level, um, it's just inconceivable. So please, please, please do not break the bank. If you think that there's a charity organization or if you want to donate the money to Bernie Sanders instead... I would encourage you to do that, but if you can support the show, in addition to all your other priorities, again, thank you so much. It means the world to me, Um, and uh, I also want to thank everyone else who is supporting us on HumanistReport.com and on Patreon.com. On today's episode, I will be talking about the Washington Post's bias against Bernie Sanders. Also coming up is Hillary Clinton's general election problem, as well as down-ticket Sanders Democrats. And I'll be talking about the assault on racial minorities at Donald Trump rallies. All this and more on today's episode. Stick around, I hope you enjoy the show. We already knew that the Washington Post was biased against Bernie Sanders, but they decided to take it a step further and have an actual anti-Bernie Sanders marathon. So according to the media watchdog group FAIR, fairness and accuracy in reporting, they posted 16 negative stories about Bernie Sanders in 16 hours. So to give you some examples of those headlines, what Bernie Sanders still doesn't get about arguing with Hillary Clinton. Clinton is running for president. Sanders is doing something else. Here's something Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders have in common. Nice. An awkward reality for Bernie Sanders, a strategy focused on whiter states. Now, to summarize, all of these posts paint his candidacy in a negative light, mainly by advancing the narrative that he's a clueless white man incapable of winning over people of color or speaking to women. Even the one article about Sanders beating Trump implies this is somehow a surprise, despite the fact that Bernie Sanders consistently outpolls Hillary Clinton against the New York businessman. Now, what do they have to gain exactly by slandering Bernie Sanders? Well, the Washington Post was sold in 2013 to libertarian Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, who is worth approximately $49.8 billion. Despite being ideologically opposed to the Democratic Party, at least in principle, Bezos has enjoyed friendly ties with both the Obama administration and the CIA. As Michael Oman Reagan notes, Amazon was awarded a $16.5 million dollar contract with the State Department the last year Clinton ran it. Amazon also has over $600 million in contracts with the Central Intelligence Agency, an organization Sanders said he wanted to abolish in 1974 and still says he had a lot of problems with has previously criticized the Washington Post for failing to disclose when reporting on tech giant Uber that Bezos also owns more than $1 billion in Uber stock. So again, this is a major media organization that has ties to the Clinton campaign in some way. So now let's talk about Jeff Bezos and Amazon for a minute. Now, this may be a bit awkward because Amazon is technically a sponsor of the Humanist Report. So what that means is that we're actually enrolled in an affiliate program with Amazon, so what they do is they'll generate a link for people with podcasts, for people with websites. And then you can direct your viewers to use that link. And then anytime somebody uses that link and then purchases something on Amazon, they will give you either 4 to 7% in commission. Now, it's typically 4% unless people purchase a lot of products per month. I haven't made too much money for it. But again, this is a great way to actually raise revenue for independent media sources. And it's why uh, sources like The Young Turks, David Pakman, uh, Kyle Kalinske, all use this affiliate program. So even though they do provide this great service to support independent media and websites, You have to be objective. You have to call out bullshit when you see it. And I'm sorry, but that's what I'm going to do. So since the Humanist Report is part of this affiliate program, I'm sure that Jeff Bezos would have a problem with me saying that his greed is ruining the country. Jeff Bezos has nearly $50 billion. Even if he were to live to be a thousand years old, he could never conceivably spend all of that money. Yet there are various reports about Amazon where they are paying their workers unfair wages. And furthermore, they're basically working in really unfair working conditions. There are some reports that literally state that people come to work in tears because of how bad the conditions are at Amazon. Furthermore, if his wealth and greed wasn't enough, he's presumably supporting a candidate that will enrich his wealth even further, because that $50 billion, it's not enough. He has to get even richer and uh, get the State Department and the CIA to sign contracts that will enrich his wealth. So even though he claims to be a libertarian, it seems as though he actually really likes government and has profited from the government. So in actuality, he seems more like a corporate fascist to me than anything. Here's the thing about the Humanist Report. I will continue to report the truth and use facts and be objective regardless of the consequences. So if that means coming on air and talking shit about a sponsor, guess what? I'm gonna do it. Now I wanna get back to the Washington Post. So they responded to this by posting an article with a title, Now the Washington Post ran 16 positive stories on Bernie Sanders in 16 hours, hashtag bias. Now here's what they said to defend themselves. In what has to be some kind of record, the Washington Post ran 16 positive stories on Bernie Sanders in 16 hours, after his upset victory over Hillary Clinton in Michigan's Democratic presidential primary. It's obvious. The Post has a pro-Sanders bias. Are Post journalists even capable of criticizing the Vermont Senator? Doubt it. So basically, they're gonna play the sarcasm card in case you haven't uh, noticed that. Uh, But here's the thing. Their bias has already been exposed. Now they're just doing this to cover their asses. We already knew that they were biased. I covered a story about a month ago where their editorial board wrote an article saying that Bernie Sanders' campaign is fiction-filled and it's not based on reality. Their entire editorial board penned this article, so if the editorial board pens this, then obviously that's representative of the aggregate Washington Post. Sure, you'll have some people who uh, don't agree with that and some people who will write pro-Bernie Sanders' articles, but by and large, we know the organization is biased, and also that's in part due to a conflict of interest with your owner, Jeff Bezos. Now, here's the thing. Hillary Clinton supporters will push back and say, Mike, you're either being conspiratorial or you're just overly biased yourself in favor of Bernie Sanders, so you're a hypocrite. But here's the difference between me and the Washington Post. See, I'm very open about who I support. I've worn Bernie Sanders shirts on the podcast. I've literally titled one episode, The Bernie Sanders Report. See, I'm open about the fact that I support Bernie Sanders. What the Washington Post does is they try to hide the fact that they're in support of Hillary Clinton and they write these articles under the guise of neutrality when in actuality, they're trying to mislead people. See, here's the thing, what they do is they argue against Bernie Sanders using hyperbole. They don't provide any evidence or data to back up their claims. But for me, I'm objective, I actually use facts to state why Bernie Sanders is a better candidate than Hillary Clinton. I don't resort to hyperbole. I don't resort to ad hominem attacks on Hillary Clinton. All of my critiques are substantive. That's not the case with the Washington Post. If you don't like the position that I'm coming from with support of Bernie Sanders, you can click X. You could tune out. You can hit dislike. But I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you I support Bernie Sanders, and I'm giving you reasons based on facts and statistics and evidence why not only he's a better candidate but he's better on policy than hillary clinton they don't even try to back it up with data they don't even try to make a compelling argument they just make these outlandish claims that his campaign is fiction filled and whatnot look here's the deal i'll put a link in the description box if you want to see me break down that article because it was absolutely ridiculous and it proved their bias and see here's the thing humans are naturally inclined to have preferences All these media pundits, they're clearly in the tank for Hillary Clinton. At least most of them are. And so they pretend to parade around as these neutral commentators when in actuality, they either have financial ties to Hillary Clinton. I've talked about this as well. Or they just support Hillary Clinton, which is fine. Just be upfront about your support and it wouldn't be that big of a problem. You can't deny the fact that Hillary Clinton has a trustworthy problem. Now, the reason why is because she won't release her Goldman Sachs speech transcripts. Uh, She is claiming that she's going to regulate Wall Street, even though she took $15 million from them. Uh, She's given speeches on their behalf and was paid $225,000 for each of them. And she claims that she'll curtail fracking, yet... The Intercept reports that she's taking money from pro-fracking companies. So they explain on Wednesday, the Clinton campaign was to hold a -a 575-ahead fundraising lunch at a Ritz-Carlton hotel on the Northern California coast hosted by Alyssa Wood, a partner at the international private equity firm Kohlberg, Kravis, Roberts & Co., In 2009, KKR began heavily investing in fracking, purchasing large shares of three North American oil and gas companies and selling two of them for billions in profits. A third was hit hard by plummeting gas prices and declared bankruptcy last year, but KKR was not deterred and still owns a large portfolio of small fossil fuel companies, at least two of which, Cinco Industries and Comstock Resources, use fracking. Now additionally, An investigation by Mother Jones found that Hillary Clinton personally lobbied for U.S. fracking rights overseas as Secretary of State, speaking at a 2010 conference conference of foreign ministers, Clinton said, I know that in some places it is controversial, but shale gas is the cleanest fossil fuel available for power today. The problem is that she's lying. Fracking is not good for the environment. So, fracking is a mining technique used to extract natural gas from shale rock. It releases vast quantities of methane into the atmosphere and groundwater, frequently poisoning the water supply of nearby communities. And some studies have confirmed that it even causes earthquakes. So fracking is not environmentally friendly and furthermore, it poisons us. So how can we trust that Hillary Clinton will be taking money from pro-fracking companies, taking money from the fossil fuel industry, and then she's still gonna do something about climate change? See, if we don't get a candidate that's serious about climate change, that's serious about actually being a leader and taking on climate change around the world, It may be too late for us the window to act has already gone but we can prevent more serious consequences of climate change from coming to fruition if we actually act soon regardless of what we do the sea level is going to rise there's going to be really bad consequences that we don't even know yet i mean many of it is unforeseen but if we act we can stop some of that we can ameliorate the damage Uh, but by supporting a candidate that is not serious about tackling climate change that's not just problematic and immoral but it could literally contribute to the end of humanity if we don't if we don't stop climate change if we don't get a handle on this and elect a candidate that's going to be a leader around the world that's going to push other countries in the correct direction it's over it's over now i'm not trying to be uh, use hyperbole i'm not trying to be ca- uh, catastrophic just to galvanize you to support bernie sanders I care about the climate. And Bernie Sanders is not taking money from fossil fuel industries. He does not support fracking. He states that he wants to ban fracking. Hillary Clinton, she is in support of fracking. Now, of course, she has all these stipulations. You know, there has to be certain conditions met. But we know that she's getting bankrolled by pro-fracking companies. She's getting uh, money from the fossil fuel industry. So I can't trust her. I'm sorry for being skeptical that a candidate who's taking money from these horrific, immoral companies who are destroying the planet isn't going to do anything about it. Because if she plans to regulate uh, climate change, for example, well, she can get a call from one of these donors and say, hey, Hillary, I don't like what you're doing. So this is something that is so troubling, perhaps the most troubling aspect about Hillary Clinton as a candidate. Now, the other troubling thing is that she's a war hawk, and uh, I don't want to send more American citizens overseas to die. I don't want citizens abroad to die because of our horrific war hawkish foreign policy uh, candidates that we elect. But I mean, this could potentially lead to the destruction of the environment even further, and it's just so troubling. Uh, Whenever I think about it, it's just really, really frustrating and disheartening, because we've done nothing for climate change. Now, everybody says, look, America can't do it all. Other countries have to act. Yeah, but you don't understand. If you look at international agreements, such as the Montreal Protocol, which basically saved the planet from the big hole in the ozone layer, there's always been a leader. There's always a leader that's behind these big environmental uh, policies. Now, if the U.S. is not a leader on this, nobody's going to be inclined to act. So Hillary Clinton has got to give back this money. If she's serious about winning, if she's serious about climate change, prove it to us. Put your money where your mouth is. Give back this money. Do not accept it from pro-fracking companies. Do not accept money from the fossil fuel industry. Before, when she was told, uh, when somebody told her that she took money from them, she acted like, oh, I I didn't know we were taking money from them. This is why you have a trustworthy problem, Hillary Clinton. There's some more bad news for the Hillary Clinton campaign. So according to a poll by NBC News and the Wall Street Journal, 33% of Bernie Sanders supporters cannot see themselves supporting Hillary Clinton in the general election. This is very, very problematic for her. And uh, this is another reason why the unelectability myth that keeps perpetuating about Bernie Sanders is just false. Because if you have that large of a percentage of Democratic voters not willing to support a candidate that uh, the Democratic Party puts forward, that's really troubling. And furthermore, another troubling aspect about the Hillary Clinton campaign is that she tends to win big when turnout is low. That's not someone you want to put up against the Republican in a general election, considering the fact that their numbers are pretty high when it comes to turnout. So this is really scary. Now, basically, this crowd of 33% uh, is in direct reference to the Bernie or bust crowd. Now, a lot of people have been wanting me to talk about this, uh, so let's do it. So here's the thing about the Bernie or bust crowd. Their existence is good for this race because just how Donald Trump uh, threatens to run as a third party candidate keeps the RNC in check from being too corrupt. Well, the Bernie or Bust crowd keeps the DNC from uh, doing too many corrupt tactics. If they tip the scales in favor of Hillary Clinton too much, then that could upset many Bernie Sanders supporters. So just kind of having that check keeps them from getting too corrupt for the most part, although they've largely ignored Bernie Sanders supporters. Now, many people want to know, Mike, are you Bernie or Bust? I've, I've had the questions on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. I really feel like I don't have to think about that unless the time comes where it's a certain reality. There are good reasons to support Bernie or Buss, and there are bad reasons to support Bernie or Buss, just objectively speaking. Uh, So, furthermore, here's the thing. If you don't support Hillary Clinton, particularly if you're in a swing state, well, then you would assure that a Republican would win, potentially, and then they would appoint the next probably three Supreme Court justices, and that could be problematic. But on the other side of the coin, if you do support Hillary Clinton no matter what, and you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, then you're basically given the Democratic Party permission to move even further to the right than they already have, and you're basically allowing them to put forth these centrist, corporatist uh, Democrats and vote for them no matter what. So they're going to continue to abuse you. Now, Hillary Clinton supporters, they'll use this condescending trick and say, oh, what, you're not going to support Hillary Clinton? You're going to vote uh, for Donald Trump? Uh, no, that's <laughs> that's not the only option. Uh, and I'm offended that you would assume I would ever vote for any of those despicable Republicans. Because let me just say, all four of the Republican candidates are not just bad candidates for the presidency. They're despicable human beings. Uh, the racism, the theocratic nature of them, uh, the way that they won't even acknowledge climate change is It's bad, not just for uh, the presidency, it's bad for the human race because all these idiots deny climate change. I'm realistic about this. I know that if I cast a vote for a a third-party candidate, specifically the Green Party, I would probably vote for Jill Stein if I were to do that. Uh, I know that there would be no chance that she'd be elected given our current electoral system. Now, look, people will say, Mike, you say we're in a two-party system. That's not true. We have more parties. Right, but uh, the way that you measure it in terms of political science terms, because I study electoral engineering as part of my degree, is uh, you have to look at the effective number of political parties that we have. So when you look at it that way, how many parties are actually electorally viable, we live in a two-party system. And if you really want electoral change, you have to push for electoral reform, and that's what I want. I would prefer a proportional representation system because I think that the U.S. has really diverse ideological preferences, and two parties just isn't sufficient. Now, this is a thing called Duverger's Law. In majoritarian systems, it's always going to push down on the number of parties you have. So when you vote third party, here's what you do. You send a message to the Democratic Party that uh, you're not going to support their centrist corporatist candidate. You support a candidate that actually represents your views. And even though they most likely won't receive this message or give a shit, still, it's a very symbolic gesture. Now, this is either called, uh, when you vote for a third party in a two-party system, this is called either vote-wasting or it's called vote-protesting in political science terms. Now, the term vote-wasting seems like, actually, um, a lot worse than it is. What it just means is that you vote-waste because... Uh, The vote that you cast will not actually go to the winning candidate. You vote waste in a lot of states. Like, for example, if you vote for a Republican in a blue state, you basically vote waste because there's no chance that you're going to get representation given the current political climate. So uh, am I burning your bust in the end? I don't know. I'm not going to think about that until the end. Uh, Just currently speaking, I would probably lean towards voting for Jill Stein in protest. But in the end, I don't know. I might support Hillary Clinton depending on the candidate that uh, is up front. This is a personal decision, and it's one that I don't want to have to make. I'm going to think long and hard about it if it comes to that. But for right now, I'm putting that out of my head. I'm not worrying about who I'm going to vote for if Bernie Sanders loses, because right now he still has a chance. We can still win this thing. He's not out of the running yet. So that's what I'm going to focus on rather than the Bernie or Bust movement, but getting back to this, the 33% statistic is so bad for Hillary Clinton. It's so bad for her. Uh, So she's gotta stop attacking Bernie Sanders. She's gotta do her best to win over his supporters if she wants any chance of winning in the general election. So she's gotta stop running the Sturdy Smear campaign. This election has given rise to a new generation of Democrats. Uh, you can call them Sanders Democrats, you can call them Bernie Berniecrats, whatever you want it to be. But these are all down-ticket Democrats who either have endorsed or support the ideas of Bernie Sanders and maintain similar positions. Now, uh, I want to introduce you to some of these people because I think that um, this is a really important way to help move the aggregate party back to the left. Because right now, they've moved too far to the center. Now, pundits will tell you that the party has moved to the left but you will not find a single respectable political scientist that will agree with that notion because it's just absurd. So these people are important because they are helping to facilitate the leftward shift to the party, so that way we no longer have just two right-wing parties who actually have a left and a right-wing party. So they're going to help with that. So I wanted to tell you guys about these people. Now, all of them are running for Congress, uh, and they all support things like uh, tackling climate change, income inequality, they're anti-establishment. Many of them are uh, running on the platform of getting money out of politics and overturning Citizens United. So here's the first one who is arguably the most important. He's Tim Canova. He is challenging the DNC chair, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. He does not take money from super PACs and actually wants to get money out of politics. He wants to end the war on drugs. He wants to regulate Wall Street by reinstating Glass-Steagall. He wants to break up the big banks and he's against these idiotic free trade deals. Now, another one is Lucy Flores. She is running for Nevada uh, to represent them in the house and she supports Medicare for All. She wants to eliminate nuclear weapons, which is a phenomenally progressive idea. Uh, she supports raising the cap on Social Security to protect it. Uh, however, when it comes to her higher education plan, she says she supports a debt-free college plan. I don't know what that means. It sounds very similar to Hillary Clinton's plan, uh, so hopefully she will get on board with a college-free tuition plan like Bernie Sanders. Now, Tom Fegan is running to become the senator in Iowa, so he wants, free higher education to all, quote, qualified students. I'm not sure what that means, uh, but it sounds good. He'd have to elaborate more on that. Uh, He also wants to bring back Glass-Steagall. He wants to break up too-big-to-fail institutions, and he doesn't have a super PAC. And furthermore, he wants to overturn Citizens United but only calls for transparency in both the amounts and sources of campaign financing. Uh, And he says it's critical to the process of electing government officials to represent the people they serve. Uh, That's not far enough. Uh, You have to get money out of politics. Bernie Sanders wants to move towards public financing of elections, not just more transparency. That's not going to do anything. All these candidates have super PACs. They all coordinate with their super PACs when that's illegal. Uh, So the transparency isn't going to make a difference. You have to get money out of politics. So I like what I hear, uh, but you've got to take a stronger stance on that issue. Now another one is Sean O'Connor. So he's running for the House of Representatives and he supports campaign finance reform, regulating Wall Street, protecting Social Security, and basically all of the issues Bernie Sanders talks about. Now, the only problem is that he's inspired by Bernie Sanders and endorsed him, but he doesn't really take it to the length that Bernie Sanders does with respect to certain policies. So although he's in favor of regulating Wall Street and a $15 minimum wage, Uh, I'm honestly not too impressed with him when it comes to other issues. So, for example, uh, he says he will also seek to significantly reduce the impact that money has in politics by supporting legislation that will allow Congress to regulate spending by and or eliminate so-called super PACs through which less than 100 members of the top 0.1% fund a very significant portion of our political campaigns. Now again, Bernie Sanders wants to get money out of politics, so uh, if you just ask Congress to regulate themselves. That's not going to happen. It's like just basically asking them to stop being corrupt. You have to take the uh, problem into your own hands and just eliminate the influence of money in politics. Get money out, uh, publicly finance elections. Now, also, when it comes to healthcare, he supports the Medicaid expansion of the Affordable Care Act. uh, And he says that he'll put forth legislation to prevent employers from cutting hours to avoid paying for insurance. But again, uh, you've got to get on board with Medicare for All. So uh, these these are great candidates. Uh, they support a lot of the ideas of Bernie Sanders, but I just want to show you that uh, they don't support all the ideas of Bernie Sanders. Now another one is John Fetterman. He's running for the Senate in Pennsylvania, and he supports the Black Lives Matter movement, LGBT rights. He actually performed the first same-sex marriage in uh Allegheny, I don't know how to pronounce that county, Uh, he he wants to protect consumers from predatory payday lenders, Uh, there's Bao Nguyen, who is running for the House of Representatives to represent California's 46th district, he supports LGBT rights, racial justice, legalizing marijuana, fair and humane immigration policy, Uh, but he wants to make college affordable, he'll protect uh, social security, but won't mention uh, raising the cap. And he doesn't say anything about Medicare for All. So we see a lot of Bernie Sanders represented here, but not fully. Now, there's also Tom Rue. He's actually challenging Paul Ryan, uh, but he has basically a 0% chance of winning because uh, Paul Ryan's district is... Heavily conservative. And I won't tell you his policies because his website is a nightmare to navigate, but he definitely has this quirky character about him, kind of like Bernie Sanders, that makes me uh, think he's kind of endearing. Now, moving on, there's uh, Gary Kroger, who is running for Congress in Iowa. Uh, he wants to protect unions and he vows to protect the Affordable Care Act. No mention of Medicare for All. Uh, he also wants to help ease student loan debt. Uh, no mention of free college tuition. Now, this isn't all of them, there are more. So, Obviously, all these people are inspired by Bernie Sanders, not all of his ideas, Bernie Sanders is, uh, he's basically a champion of really strong progressive policies, so they're not on board with all of it. But in the end, I think if we support these candidates, we can still help facilitate the move of the Democratic Party to the left. Not all of their policies are wholly progressive, in my opinion. Uh, they're not taking an unequivocally progressive stance like Bernie Sanders on some issues. But again, by and large, uh, you have to be uh, give credit where credit is due. And many of them support very progressive policies, uh, even if they don't agree with everything Bernie Sanders has to say. But the most important one I want to emphasize is Tim Canova. Everything you love about Bernie Sanders, you will love about Tim Canova. They are virtually identical when it comes to policy and the way they act. I mean, to disavow super PACs, to not take corporate money. This is someone who we want to defeat the DNC chair. And if we do that, if we donate to his campaign and get rid of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, we can do big things in terms of helping to bring the Democratic Party back to reality and get them away from those corporate interests. It's not going to happen overnight, uh, but by electing these types of Berniecrats, we can definitely do it. So those are all the down ticket Bernie Sanders Democrats I wanted to tell you guys about. Hopefully you found this helpful. I would encourage you to support Tim Canova if you can, Uh, but if not, then you can uh, share stories about him uh, if you can't donate and hopefully spread the word about his campaign. Throughout the course of his campaign, there has been a consistent number of assaults on racial minorities at Donald Trump rallies by his supporters. I mean, over and over, you see abuse. So here's a video of an African-American woman being assaulted in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, uh, here you have an African-American guy being punched in the face. And now here, a Trump supporter is spitting in the face of a Hispanic protester. And here, you have a Latino person literally being dragged out of a Trump rally. And then uh, here in this video, there is a Muslim woman who is being escorted out for seemingly no reason because how dare you wear a shirt that says, "Salam, I come in peace, right? Now in this video here, there are 30 African-Americans being kicked out for no reason. I think we got kicked out because we're a group of black people. And like, I guess people, what's going on in America? They're afraid we're gonna say something or do something, but we just really want to watch the rally and to get kicked out because we're a group of black people is really crazy. crazy. It shows you how racist our own school is, that we can't even go to our own school complex. Now, what did Donald Trump have to say about this? Do you believe that you've done anything to create a tone where this kind of violence would be encouraged? I hope not. I truly hope not. But I certainly do not condone that at all, Jake. Now, that's really nice rhetoric. I like that you're disavowing this violence, but in actuality, you are encouraging it. Some of your critics point to quotes that you've made at these these rallies, including February 23rd, I'd like to punch him in the face, referring to a protester. February 27th, in the good old days, they'd have ripped him out of that seat so fast. February 1st, knock the crap out of him, would you? Seriously, okay, just knock the hell. I promise you, I will pay for the legal fees. I promise, I promise. So not only are you encouraging violence at your rallies, you are using this type of divisive rhetoric that is appealing directly to racially insensitive, immigrant-hating people. Problem in this country, it's called Muslims. We know our current president is one, right. you know, he's not even an American. We need this, question. this man. Question. <laughs> but anyway, we have training camps growing where they want to kill us. Mm-hmm. That's my question. When can we get rid of them? We're going to be looking at a lot of different things. I get the appeal of Donald Trump in many ways, he's a refreshing Republican candidate. I mean. He is anti-establishment, he rails against money in politics, he rails against these horrific trade deals where our jobs just get shipped overseas. Uh, and that's refreshing. It's good to hear a Republican actually have a reasonable stance, so I get that if you're a Donald Trump supporter, and this is why I'll maintain that there are different types of Donald Trump supporters. There are some who just like the fact that he's anti-establishment, and he's not for corrupt crony capitalism that has taken over the Republican Party. Now, furthermore, there are are these racially insensitive, xenophobic, immigrant-hating Trump supporters. Now, there's also a combination of the two, but there is a segment of Donald Trump's Support that disavows this type of behavior that don't actually take Trump serious But regardless if you take him serious on his immigration policies, which are just fascist in nature uh, Regardless if you don't think he'll actually implement a Muslim ID system You have to understand these actions of assault These physical altercations that are happening at his rally They're a snapshot of what's to come if he is elected president. They are the direct result of his divisive, racially insensitive, xenophobic rhetoric. That's just a fact. Now, people will say, look, you can't blame the candidate for the actions of his supporters. But again, the rhetoric has consequences. The policy positions that he's putting forth, which are very problematic, they're going to appeal to really, really racially insensitive immigrant-hating people. Hence the reason why so many white supremacists are jumping over themselves to endorse Donald Trump. See, here's the thing about Donald Trump that's scary. He made overt racism actually something that is socially acceptable. Again, prior to Donald Trump, the Republican Party, they would institute these racist policies, which, such as voter ID laws, where basically it's a policy that limits African-Americans from voting. That's what it does. That's the impact it has, regardless if you agree that that's their actual intentions. That's the impact it has. Uh, But they do more subtly racist things. Donald Trump just overtly says, I don't think Muslims should be able to enter or leave the country. That's really, really problematic. And there's a reason why all the other Republicans, even though they're crazy, even though they're lunatics, even though they are extremists, have even disavowed that type of rhetoric. To want to kill civilians... And still have supporters support you, even though you have these other uh, economically populist, arguably, policies? It's troubling. It's really troubling. So again, you may think that the connection between his rhetoric and these type of physical assaults on racial minorities that go on at his rallies are just, you know, it's a spurious relationship. There's no connection. Well, I hate to tell you this, but you're wrong. Rhetoric has consequences, and Donald Trump's rhetoric is so extreme that he is encouraging violence. So Donald Trump is a dangerous candidate. We don't have to actually elect him to see the consequences of his rhetoric, of his divisiveness. We already seen that, and these rallies prove that. Isn't it great to be at a Trump rally, really? Why? more fun. What happened at this rally tonight certainly wasn't a love fest, as you have said. You know, there was a lot of love in the past. And I'm gonna tell you some of your own words you have said at your rallies that uh, people should knock the crap out of a protester, that you'd pay the legal fees. You talked about people being brought out on stretchers. Also, you said that you'd like uh, to punch a protester in the face. You've insulted You've insulted all kinds of people, according to to what people believe, by saying that Mexico is sending over uh, rapists, uh, that Muslims uh, shouldn't be allowed in this country, there should be a moratorium for a while. Do you you regret saying any of those things, especially the things that you have said about punching protesters, sending them out on stretchers? No, I don't regret it at all. Some of these protesters were violent. Uh, They were swinging. They were hitting people and they were really doing damage, and frankly, the crowd turned on them or the police turned on them. In most cases, it was the police. The DNC chair, Debbie, do anything for Hillary Wasserman Schultz, has instructed media outlets to stop reporting about the superdelegate count. So what she has told them to do is to stop including superdelegates in their pledged delegate counts as well. So the Huffington Post explains that the way the media is reporting this is incorrect, Washerman Schultz told Rachel Maddow of MSNBC on February 20th. There are not pledged delegates or superdelegates earned at any of these caucus contests. She went on to note that superdelegates are free to decide who to vote for anytime up until July and can change their mind at any time. One reason they can't be reported as being conclusively attached to any particular candidate. So combining them, the voted on or earned delegates and superdelegates at each phase of this contest is not an accurate picture of how this works, she said. It's really important to report these superdelegates in a completely different way, she added, in the event her repeated admonitions on the topic had been unclear. So even though Debbie Do Anything for Hillary Wasserman Schultz has basically spit in the faces of progressives at every turn, she's actually doing something good here. So credit where credit is due, right? Because, I mean, if you include super delegates in the count with pledge delegates, then what does that do? What effect does that have? Well, it may demoralize Bernie Sanders supporters, and it may get them to think, well, there's no chance that he's ever going to catch up to that, so he might as well drop out, he might as well quit, I might as well not vote for him. That's the effect that they're hoping it has. But... Here's the thing. Uh, Now, this is speculation, but I don't think that her intentions are as pure as you'd hope they are. I think this is another instance where she's trying to tip the scales in favor of Hillary Clinton. So, I think that by including superdelegates, this probably had the opposite effect. So, what this does, and why maybe they were against it, is because it makes Hillary Clinton supporters complacent. They see the strong delegate lead... And maybe they don't go out and vote because they don't think they have to uh it's inconvenient you don't want to stand in line for hours so why vote if hillary clinton is going to win if she's inevitable right and another reason is that some hillary clinton supporters may even vote republican not because they support republicans but they could do this strategically because if they think that hillary clinton will actually win in their state then what they're going to try to do is vote for a republican in open primary states so that way they can basically pick who she competes against Uh, And this is problematic, as you saw with Michigan. uh, Bernie was at a 21-point deficit, and he ended up winning in the biggest political upset in history, uh, in primary history, that is. So I think that this actually had the opposite effect. Now, again, uh, I'm just speculating why she changed this, but uh, she has given us no reason uh, to think that she's actually fair and neutral. I mean, she suspended Bernie Sanders for accessing Hillary's voter data. Uh, She limited debates at first. She's done everything she can to spit in the faces of progressives. I know I said that, but I have to say it again because it's so true. I mean, even attacking Elizabeth Warren's agency, which protects consumers from payday predatory lenders, which are terrible, uh, it's just she needs to get out of the party. (laughs) But first, she has to just stop being the DNC chair because she does not represent this party. She represents Republicans. I don't understand why she remains in this party. She is a Democrat in name and that's it. So will the media actually comply with this request? Uh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But I'm glad that she's doing it, even if her intentions may be uh, motivated by helping Hillary Clinton even further, because... You have to give voters an accurate portrayal of the delegate count, and when you do this, you mislead voters, and it's just not right. Many people don't know about the intricacies of the Democratic primary process, and they're different on both sides. So, for example, Democrats have superdelegates, which they shouldn't have at all. It's just undemocratic, and on the Republican side, they have winner-take-all races in some states, whereas on the Democratic side, they're proportional. So, this is a really complex, convoluted process, and when media outlets report superdelegates as if they've already been earned, well, it's just misleading, it complicates things, and it it's just misleading to voters, and that's problematic. You want them to get the truth. You want them to actually have an accurate picture of the process that's going on, and you can't do that if you include superdelegates in the process. So regardless of our intentions, I think this is a good move, and I really hope that the media outlets do comply. So I wanted to talk about the most recent GOP debate between Donald Trump, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, and John Kasich. So when it comes to who won, I honestly had a really difficult time deciding who was the winner. I'd probably say it's a draw between Ted Cruz and Donald Trump, but you can make the case for either one of them that they were the winner. Uh, And I won't do that. I won't parse that out. But I do want to get to some specific things uh, about the debate that stood out to me. Now, first and foremost, I just have to say, when Donald Trump talks about money in politics, when he talks about uh, how super PACs are corrupt and how all these Republican politicians are beholden to special interests, he shines. And that is a really, really strong portion of his appeal. I think that if he emphasized this enough, he could potentially get a lot more independent voters. Now, the problem is that he still has these extreme policies. So, for example, he defended killing civilians again, ISIS families. You can't do this. I mean, there's a respectability threshold that you can't surpass if you want to be president. And he not only surpassed it, he ran past it. And saying that you want to kill civilians, commit war crimes, this is absolutely insane. So, on one hand... He, he, he comes up with these great ideas about banning super packs. I don't know if he said that specifically, but he implied that he would rein them in. And then on the other end, he'll say that he wants to kill civilians. He's both Simultaneously brilliant, but also in that case at the same time. But I mean, all of these candidates are extreme in many ways. Uh, Ted Cruz is more extreme than, than Donald Trump. He's basically a theocrat. It, effectively, that's what he is. So I want to get to John Kasich. This is the so called moderate. This is the one that everyone's holding out for because he's the one person who is not going to be a disaster if, uh, if he wins. That's not true. He said last night that he wants to arm the Ukrainian rebels. Now, what he's basically doing is he's facilitating a proxy war between the U.S. and Russia by doing that. That is, that's inconceivable to me. Now, there's problems with other candidates as well. Hillary Clinton wants a Syrian no-fly zone, which could also be very problematic and escalate tensions with Russia because if you institute a Syrian no-fly zone and Russia crosses that, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot down their plane? It's, it's just so problematic. We have so many extremists and war hawks in this uh, presidential race that if anyone but Bernie Sanders gets elected, it's going to be horrible for the country and it's just scary. Now, I will commend Marco Rubio because he actually was reasonable. He mentioned the fact when Donald Trump was going on his anti-Muslim tirade that there are many Muslim vets who serve the country and are willing to die for the country and they love America, so Donald Trump has got to move to a more reasonable, rational stance uh, and be less divisive if he actually wants to be electorally viable at the national level. You, you've you condemned so many communities. Uh, I think that you're a danger nationally. I mean, I could see why the Republican parties don't want to put you against Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton because you could get your ass beat. Now, let's be fair. Some of the polls do show that uh, Donald Trump does win. Uh, in head-to-head matchups against Hillary Clinton. Not really against Bernie Sanders, though. Bernie Sanders whoops his ass. <laughs> let's be let's be fair here. Bernie Sanders destroys Trump, and he would destroy Trump. Uh, but again, the, his policies are so problematic. If you really want to become a better candidate, move towards emphasizing actual real policies, like getting money out of politics and banning super PACs. And that's what you can do. But in the end, I have no idea who won. It's between Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, but I'm just going to call it a tie. Well, that's all I got for you guys. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. I want to thank all of my subscribers for tuning in. And I also want to welcome all of the newest subscribers to the channel. This is, uh, has been an insane week for the Humanist Report in terms of growth. We just surpassed 20,000 subscribers. And at 25,000, I'll probably do a Q&A just to kind of say thank you. If you guys want that, let me know in the comment section because I don't know if that's something you guys would be interested in. If so, comment down below. But uh, otherwise, uh, thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next week. Hey guys, sorry I can't make a traditional video, but I am in the midst of finals, so I have to get back to my schoolwork ASAP. But I had to check in really quick with you guys just to tell you uh, my thoughts on the election tonight. So as you already know, Bernie Sanders lost four of the five states, and in Missouri, where he came the closest, he only is about .4 ahead of Hillary Clinton. Uh, So it's effectively a tie there. They're going to take home about the same amount of delegates. Uh, So overall, this is a horrible night, honestly. Uh, So I'll tell you guys the facts. Here's the thing. His prospects of winning have diminished after tonight, honestly. Now, I'll give you some good news, and then I'm going to give you the bad news. So when it comes to the good news, it is the case that Barack Obama also lost a substantial amount of states, and he didn't overtake Hillary Clinton until around May or June. And furthermore... Uh, In the next 10 to 12 states, well, they all lean towards Bernie Sanders. They all favor Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton because there are no more southern states. We've moved away from them, finally, and we are now getting to pro-Bernie territory. That's a good thing. But here's the thing. Here's the bad news. Um, Even though it's the case that Barack Obama also lost quite a bit of states, he didn't lose them by significant margins. See, the thing is that Hillary Clinton is not just winning. She's winning by substantial margins, compared to Bernie Sanders, by double digits, which is problematic. In Florida, she won by around like 30 points. I I don't have the numbers in front of me. And this is something that is very, very troubling. So her delegate count after tonight has increased. Uh, She was leading by a little over 200. Now she's around 340 delegates. That's a big problem. So... We cannot keep looking at this as a state thing. We have to look at this in terms of delegate count. And what we have to do now is any and everything to close that deficit. Because if we don't do that, we can't win. It doesn't matter how many states we win. What matters right now is the delegates. So going forward, even though these upcoming pro-Bernie states do lean heavily towards him, uh, and he can get momentum by just winning them, well... The problem is that he can't just win them anymore. He has to win big. He has to win by really, really big margins. Uh I, I I haven't crunched the numbers, but everything from what I've seen online, it looks as though he has to win by about 60% in these. And that's gonna be really, really tough. It's gonna be really tough. It's not impossible, but that that's a tough thing to do. However, He has won by pretty substantial margins in the states that he did win. But again, those were caucus states. But this is why tonight is really frustrating. It's because he didn't basically tie with her. If he would have tied with her, he could easily make up that delegate deficit, even though it's still pretty substantial. I mean, 200 is a lot. But she increased her delegate lead, and that's why we have such a problem here and why it's so troubling. So what do we do now? Uh, We don't quit. Why? Well, for one, I haven't even voted yet. My state goes pretty much last. And if you think that I'm going to concede when I haven't even had a say yet, I don't think so. So just for my own personal angst, I'm not quitting until Bernie says it's over. But besides that, I want everyone to think about this race in terms of delegates, not in terms of states. So going forward, if Bernie Sanders wins the next 12 states, it doesn't matter if they tie and take home the same amount of delegates. So the reason why I'm telling you this is not to demoralize you and get your hopes down, but I'm trying to help facilitate a strategy that we have to devise. If you want to win, you've got to work really hard right now. Push the pedal all the way down to the floor and go 100% in. Uh, you've got a text bank, face bank, phone bank, uh, do canvassing, whatever you can possibly do to get the word out. We have to look at the delegate-rich states and really put in a tremendous amount of effort there so California has a ton of delegates if he can win big there then he could make up a huge portion of that deficit right now in terms of delegates the prospects have admittedly diminished of him winning that's that's a fact that's a fact Uh, I don't think anyone will deny that but here's the thing though we change our strategy now now be really focus on getting delegates and closing that gap. I recommend visiting the Bernie Sanders subreddit because they always emphasize the grassroots part of this campaign, which I think is fundamentally important. I mean, donating is great, but actually putting in the time and effort to call people, that's going to make a huge difference. And if everyone does it, then you can really, really help. So, that's my take. Stay focused. It's not impossible, but it will be difficult. Um, It's just a matter of how hard you want to try.